you can go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Psalm chapter 1. You know, over the summer, I had a tremendous opportunity to spend some time away, and it was really good. We had some great family time, spent some time refreshing, reflecting, also processing and planning, uh, you know, what's to come in the coming months, and so really, really great time. One of the things that we got to do was make good on a trip that we had planned for the summer of 2020. You remember everything shut down. I don't know if you recall that or not. Uh, everything shut down the summer of 2020 and my family was gonna go on a cruise. My dad uh, had paid for the whole family to go. Uh, and so this summer we got to, to make good on that trip. So my parents and my brother, my nieces, and my family of five, we all went on this trip. We had the best time. Hear me say that, we had the best time. Uh, but I realized about I don't know, halfway through, that the cruise line and the cruise director had a very different plan for my life than the plan that I had for my life. You see, uh, the cruise director made it very clear that he thought my vacation should be fun. I'd, I wanted my vacation to be fun for the kids, but I wanted to relax. Uh, that was not okay. Um, and they wanted me to have fun and so the music was constant and loud and everything was crowded and packed and everybody was uh, dancing and just having the best time but I wanted to sit in a chair and fall asleep. Yeah. My desired outcome was different than what the cruise director had for me. Now I found a way to find what I was looking for. It was a great, it was a great trip. We had a great time. Um, but I found a way to kind of get what I needed in the midst of the crazy, but the cruise director's counsel to me was based on his desired outcome for me and not necessarily what was best for me or what I needed. In the same way, there are, there are many counselors in our lives, and this counsel leads to different experiences and it leads to different outcomes. That's the subject of Psalm chapter 1. Let's go ahead and read Psalm 1 and we'll, we'll con continue on. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Psalm 1 is the opening to the entire book of Psalms. And the very first word is the word blessed. The Psalms open with a call to those who wish to be blessed. Now to be blessed, uh, sometimes that word is translated as happy, and maybe your copy of the scriptures, it says happy, but happy doesn't quite carry the meaning. Because you can be blessed in different circumstances, and we're going to see in Psalm 1, there are different circumstances that you can be blessed, not necessarily happy times. 
Maybe you've heard someone distinguish between joy and happiness, that, that happiness is, is kind of influenced by circumstances. And when something bad happens, happiness can be fleeting, but joy abides, come what may. That's what it means to be blessed. The psalmist describes how a person can be blessed in hard times. One scholar uh, wants to translate this word blessed. He thinks the best way to translate it is flourishing. That that means uh, living out all that it means to be human. You're created in the image of God, created to be a certain kind of person, and, and to be blessed is to be walking in that. Maybe even the word prospering. So to be blessed has nothing to do with circumstances, whether your circumstances are what you would like them to be. It's something else. So Psalm 1 is is kind of a manual on how to prosper, how to flourish, how to be happy even if your circumstances are sad. Like while in the midst of the crazy, I can find what I need. Well, as we look at this psalm together, we're going to break it up into three parts. The first section is verses 1 and 2. And if you're taking notes, the heading you can write down for verses 1 and 2 is two counselors. Psalm 1 identifies for us two counselors. Uh, the, The way that it works is the psalmist lays out, he says, the blessed man, there are three things that he does not do, and there is one thing that he does. And in describing this, he's gonna identify for us two counselors. Now, in verse one, we see the three things that a blessed man does not do. And as we will see, it kind of works as a progression. The image here is that Uh, you're meeting some friends at a restaurant for dinner. And you show up to the restaurant, and they're already there. They're seated around the table, and there's a seat for you. You walk in the door. They see you come in, and they motion, come here. And you walk over, and you get to the table, and you stop. You pull the chair out, and you sit down. That's the image of Psalm 1, verse 1, that there are some people motioning you to come have a seat at their table and the warning of Psalm 1 verse 1 is do not accept that invitation. That's not something a blessed man would do. Now, the, the first thing that the blessed man does not do is a blessed man does not walk in the counsel of the wicked. Uh, to walk is like your way of life. And the counsel of the wicked would be the words that a wicked person would say to get you to walk in the same ways that they are. The warning here is that you are being discipled by whoever you are listening to. Whatever voice you hear, you are being discipled by that. What you listen to shapes and influences your life. And did you know that the wicked have counsel to give. The second thing a blessed man does not do, the blessed man does not stand in the way of sinners. This word sinners is not referring to a person who does something wrong one time, but rather someone who makes a habit of sinning. That Sinning is their lifestyle. 
And to stand in their way is to stop and to consider whether their lifestyle is worth imitating. The stand in the way of sinners is to consider the wrong way of life. The third thing a blessed man does not do is he does not sit in the seat of scoffers. A, a scoffer is someone who dismisses God's word. A scoffer is someone who, who feels as if they can sit in judgment over God's word. And they say things like, well, that's the Bible and it's antiquated. Or they'll question its authenticity. Or they'll question the Bible's authority. Or they'll call into question translations of words with wild and elaborate explanations of some kind of translation conspiracy. These are the kinds of people, scoffers, they begin with a presupposition that must be true. And then what they do is they go backwards and they rearrange the Bible to make it say what they want it to say so that they come to the desired outcome that they've already decided. To sit in the seat of a scoffer is to join them in their judgment over God's word. How does a person get to that point where they can sit in judgment over God's word? How do they get there? Well, he shows us in verse one, it starts by listening to them. The book of Proverbs considers these people wicked, sinners, scoffers. It, the, the book of Proverbs considers them and calls them fools. Who is more foolish than a fool? I, I, would, I would argue that that it's more, it's more foolish to listen to a fool. The people who listen to foolish counsel, they're even more foolish. You are discipled by who you listen to. And do not presume to think that the people you listen to have no influence on your life. Your most intimate relationships must not be those who scoff at God's word. You begin by listening, but before you know it, you're joining them in their speech. Well, that's what the blessed man does not do. He refuses to be discipled by the wicked. Well, what's the thing that he does do? That's, that's in verse 2. It says, his delight is in the law of the Lord. His delight. Delight is love. To love, to cherish to find joy and pleasure in. His delight is in the law of the Lord. That word law is, it's a Hebrew word that you probably have heard before. It's the word Torah. That word Torah, it kind of has a wider meaning than just law. It could refer to just the first five books of the Old Testament, and it does, but it also can, it can refer to the whole Bible. Now, even Jesus calls the Psalms law. And so, What's being described to us is that the blessed man does not delight in those who scoff at God's word, but rather he delights in God's word itself. And, and what does that look like? How, how do we know? It says there at the end of verse 2 that on his law he meditates day and night. To, to, to meditate on something is, it's not to empty your mind, but it's to fill it. It's to fill it 
with the word of God. The, the tense of this word in the original language is, a, is an ongoing thing. So it's not a task that you do one time, but it's something that's ongoing, this idea of meditating. To meditate means to let something roll around in your mind. And constantly think about it and consider it. To drink deeply, to let it saturate you. To meditate on God's word. It's been said that if you know how to worry, then you know how to meditate because it's the same practice. See, if you're worried about something, what, what do you do? Uh, you think about it. And you, you think about it when you wake up in the morning. And you think about it during the day, even when you weren't planning to think about it. You're, you're thinking about it and you're considering it from different angles. You're, you're, you're viewing other circumstances through the thing that you're worried about. It keeps you up at night. And you might fall asleep, but you'll wake up in the middle of the night and And you'll be thinking about that thing that you're worried about. Well, if you know how to worry, then you know how to meditate because that's that's all that it is. And and here's the truth behind that. You think about what you delight in. You think about what you delight in. When you're worrying, you're, you're thinking about what you delight in. I delight in financial security, so I'm worried about my finances. I delight in my physical health, and so I'm worried about my health. So you, you, you think about what you delight in, and, and really what we're being told here is don't worry about your life. Worry about God's word. Meditate on God's word. The scoffer begins with a presupposition and they go back and they, they mangle God's word in order that they might reach the outcome that they want. They begin with a presupposition. The blessed man also begins with a presupposition about the Bible. The blessed man believes that it's God's word, primarily. It's not just a textbook that should be analyzed, though it, it should be analyzed. It's not just a list of moral rules, but there are some rules that you should keep. It's not just... A history book you should learn about the history from, but there is, there is history in it. Primarily, the Bible is God's word. Here's what that means. The unknowable creator of all things has chosen to reveal himself through the written word. So we delight in God's word, not because we want to be uh, really interested in literature or history following rules. We delight in God's word because we delight in God himself. It's through God's word that we can know him. What, what kind of man says, I love my wife, but I don't care what she says? All right? Love my wife, but I selectively listen to what she says. None of us do that on purpose. (laughs) I I love my wife, but I've already decided that what she's going to say doesn't fit what I want, so I'm just going to pick the parts and maybe change meaning around so that I reach my desired outcome. What kind of man does that? A man loves, a man who loves his wife delights in her speech and knows her through her speech. 
It's through this communication that a man learns his wife and loves her. The same is true of God's word. We delight in God's word because we delight in him. And we demonstrate our delight when we savor his words. You see, there are two counselors. There are the wicked who counsel you according to their values and their beliefs and their presuppositions and their worldview. And then there is the word of God. Where do you find your counsel? Is it the counsel of the wicked? Is your phone discipling you? Are you listening to those great theologians on TikTok? (laughs) Is culture discipling you? Movies, music, media. Sometimes what our culture can do, there's some really smart people in this world, and sometimes what our culture can do is they can take what God's word says and they can flip it and twist it and and turn it around by the by the time they're done with it they can make it mean the opposite of what it actually means who is your counselor i know uh, many of us in the room probably have a therapist that we see and and that's a great thing that that's a gift of god therapy is however is your therapist pointing you to the word of god Psalm 119, verse 24 says, your testimonies are my delight. They are my counselors. Where do you find your counsel? And then then the next question is, what do you do if you find yourself not really delighting in God's word? You think about what you delight in, and here's one thing I found to be true. One scholar said it this way, delight and meditation are mutually feeding. The more you delight in something, the more you want to spend time reading it and thinking about it and paying attention. And, and the more you spend reading something and thinking about it and paying attention, the more you'll begin to delight in it. So like on some level, reading your Bible, memorizing, meditating, listening to sermons, uh, on, on some level, it's just like a discipline that you have to do, like breathing air drinking water. It's just something that you know you have to do. It's like the shoe company says, just do it. Just do it. But sometimes we kind of, we make reasons why we don't want to. After all, what I'm asking you to do is not just read the Bible. You should read the Bible, but that's not all that I'm asking you to do. I'm asking you to spend extra time and let, it roll, let, let the words roll around in your mind and think about it. I'm asking for extra time. You're not going to get much from your Bible reading if you skim it. You're not going to get much from your Bible reading if you uh, do the thing where you let your eyes pass over the words, but you're really just thinking about something else. You're not going to get as much from your Bible reading if you actually read it, but don't ever pause to think about what you're reading. It's way more effective if you stop and breathe and think and slow down and pray 
and let the words roll around in your mind and think about how those words apply to you, how they apply to a situation. Think about what those words reveal about the nature of God, the nature of yourself, that if you stop and slow down, you let these words dwell in you, and that takes time. We were gone from our house for a couple of weeks this summer. We got back. Our plants and our grass and our trees were in sad shape. And so we needed to water them. When you water a tree, if you want it to be healthy, you don't take the water hose and sprinkle some water at the bottom of the tree and call it a day. Now what you do is you place that water hose within the canopy of that tree and you turn the water onto a trickle and you just let it go. And that takes time. But do you know what happens is those roots begin to run deep after that water. You've got a healthy tree. As you read your Bible, meditation requires that you resist the urge to hurry. We say we don't have time, but come on. We know we do. One of the great uses of social media and streaming services will be that on the last day, we will not be able to have the excuse, well, I didn't have time. As John Piper said once, it's not time, it's taste. And I'm urging you, linger in God's word. Linger. Do you have a Bible reading plan? That's a place to start. You have one? Maybe you picked one up in January, and, and like by February, you had failed. You got to Leviticus, and you said, I'm out. <laughs> Pick it up again. Pick a new one. What, what if, if you're kind of struggling where to start, what if just in the month of August you just read the Gospel of John as many times as you possibly could? Even if it was just once. What, what if you just read the Gospel of John? That's a place to start. Here's another thing that you need. You need friends along the way who are gonna point you back to the scriptures. That's the reason why we have groups at 945. We know that we can set up some things for you where where you can have people who are just like you and be pointed to the scriptures. We have groups for many demographics. Some demographics, we have more than one group that reach those demographics. As a matter of fact, we're starting two new groups on August 20th, two new ones. The Seagrists are gonna lead a group called Families in the Word, and the Potters are gonna lead a group called Parenting Disciples. And all the information about these groups and, and other groups that you want to be a part of, it's all out here at the welcome table. It's on our website. You can find all of that information, but you need people who are going to point you back to the scriptures in your life. I'm telling you to drink deeply from the well of God's word because our culture is a wasteland of lies and half-truths. And those things lead to destruction. Drink deeply from the well of God's word. Why? Because those who find their counsel in God's word will have a different experience in this life than those who listen to the counsel of the wicked. So you're, you're taking notes. Let me give you uh, another heading for verses three through four. We already had two counselors. Now we have two experiences. In verses three and four, we have two experiences. The, the psalmist uses 
contrasting images to describe the life experiences of the blessed man and the wicked man. He says in verse three that the blessed man is like a fruitful tree planted by streams of water that's bearing fruit in its season. This imagery is imagery from Genesis, Genesis Genesis one and two. In Genesis one and two, God creates the universe with the words of his mouth, he speaks. And then he plants a garden And in this garden, he places a man and a woman. In this garden, there are trees, there are rivers. And he places this man and this woman. And the scripture tells us that they used to walk around in the cool of the day together. There was an unbroken relationship between man and God. That's what we were created for. That's where joy is found. That's where contentment and satisfaction, significance is found in a relationship with God. And that's, a lot of what's so broken about our world, we, we know people who, who spend their time searching for all sorts of things. They're searching for satisfaction and significance. And they try in all sorts of areas. And sex and substance and achievement and their families. And our world is broken and people are broken and hurting because satisfaction and significance is not found in those things. It's found in a relationship with our creator. And so all the searching and all the longing and all the brokenness, all that is, is a buried desire to return to the Garden of Eden where there was an unbroken relationship between God and man. And so in Psalm 1, the psalmist says, look, plant your life near the word of God and let your roots run deep and drink deeply from the word of God and you'll be like, it'll be like you returned to the garden of Eden. It's through God's word that you'll know him. It's, it's through God's word that you can find intimacy with him. And here's what'll happen. He says you'll bear fruit in its season. You'll, you'll reflect, your life will begin to reflect that you know God. You'll begin to be the person that he created you to be, walking in the things that he has called us to walk in. And here's what else will happen. It says your leaf will not wither. Well, what causes a leaf to wither when it's 272 degrees outside? That will cause a leaf to wither. Harsh conditions, whether cold or hot or dry. And the psalmist says if you drink deeply of God's word, your leaf will not wither. Yeah, you'll you'll live the life that you're supposed to live. You'll be the kind of person that God has made you to be and also you'll be able to stand when times get tough. And let me say, times will get tough. Many of you are walking in it now. You've walked in it in the past. It's also coming in the future. Times will be tough. Psalm 1 doesn't describe everything being easy. No, there's a chance that the leaf could wither. There are harsh conditions. But the man who drinks deeply of the word of God stands firm. But as the psalmist warns in verse four, not so the wicked. The wicked are not like a tree that's planted by streams of water. They're more like 
chaff. This is the image of threshing wheat. I don't know if you've had the chance to thresh wheat this week, uh, but let me explain that to you for a second. If you were to thresh wheat, what, what the ancient farmer would do is he would gather his wheat to his threshing floor. He would take his winnowing fork and he would throw the wheat into the air. And the reason he's doing that is because when you've gathered your wheat, you've got, you've got all kinds of things, uh, dirt and debris and something called chaff. It's the husk. Useless things that you don't need. You throw it in the air, the wind blows the useless parts away and what falls to the ground is the wheat that you actually need. The psalmist says that those who walk in wickedness, those who scoff at God's word, they're like chaff in the wind. Like when difficulty arises, they don't have anything holding them to the ground. There's no root in themselves. There's no weight that holds them fast. They are weightless and they're blown wherever the wind wants to take them. Are you prepared for hard times? Drink deeply of God's word. There you will learn eternal truths. There you will know and internalize the promises of God. And that will keep you grounded in good times and bad. So a more grounded experience in this life is a good reason to listen to Psalm one's counsel, but this life isn't all there is. We are careening towards a day where we're going to stand before the judge, the day of the Lord. The blessed man and the wicked man will experience two different outcomes, and that's the heading for verses five and six, two outcomes. Two counselors, two experiences, two outcomes. The wicked may be standing now, but they will not stand in the judgment, verse 5 says. You know, one question that the Psalms uh, wrestle with all throughout is, why, do, why does it seem like the wicked uh, prosper? You, you look at the people who seem to be prospering in this life, and many of them are wicked. Why, it shouldn't be that way. It should be good people getting good stuff and bad people getting bad stuff, but it's all mixed up. Well, the answer from the Psalms is, yeah, you're right. It's just not yet. Because there, there's coming a day when the wicked will have to answer for what they've done. They'll stand before the judge and, and they will be punished. But the righteous will be vindicated. That, that day is coming, just not yet. You see, there's a future to consider. You may not feel like you need God's word now, but there's a future to consider, and the future should direct how we view the present. The wicked may counsel now, and their counsel may seem attractive, but their counsel ends in destruction. They might be standing in the way now saying, follow me, but they will not be able to stand before God's judgment seat. And that's, that's helpful for us to know. But let me share, share with you what I think the most comforting part of Psalm chapter one is. It's the first line of verse six. The Lord knows the way of the righteous. Yeah, yeah, the wind blows away the wicked. They're not gonna stand in the judgment. Yeah, they're gonna, they're gonna get what they have asked for. But 
As for the righteous, the Lord knows their way. The Lord himself is intimately acquainted with those who belong to him. The the blessed man, the one who delights in God's word can know that God delights in them with his watchful gaze. The Lord knows your way. And that's why the psalmist wrote this in Psalm 139. Oh Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down, when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all together. You hem me in behind and before, and you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. Where shall I go from your spirit? Where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light shall be night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as the day, for darkness is as light with you. For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book, were written every one of them the days that were formed for me when as yet there were none of them. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. If I could count them, they are more than the sand. I awake and I am still with you. The Lord knows the ones who are his. He is intimately acquainted with all of your ways. He is for you. He is not against you. And he wants what's best for you. There are many counselors. There's one who wants what's best. Two two counselors two experiences, two outcomes that all works out in a really nice outline. There's a catch, though, and and maybe this already crossed your mind. There is no one in the room who could say that they've never listened to the counsel of the wicked, that they've never stood in the way of sinners, they never sat in the seat of scoffers. There's there's no one who, who can say that that's true The blessed man is an ideal that's not achievable. Psalm 1 seems to actually mirror Deuteronomy 17. In the book of Deuteronomy, uh, Moses is giving like final instructions before the people are going to enter the promised land. And one of the things he does, Moses knows there's going to be a king. And so he gives instructions for the king. 
And in Deuteronomy 17, Moses structures his instructions to the king the same way Psalm 1 does. Three things you must not do, one thing you must do. Now, now the king shouldn't um, acquire many horses or many wives or excessive silver, but the one thing he must do matches Psalm 1. See, what the king was supposed to do, the instruction he was given, was when you become king, write out your own copy of the Bible. Write it out. And then once you've written it all out, what you're going to do, as long as you're king, you're going to read it all the days of your life. And so presumably when the kings of Israel, the kings of Judah, when they became king, what they did was they, they wrote out their own copy of the Bible. And maybe they lived out Psalm 1 literally. He del- they would delight in the law of the Lord. And on his law, on his own copy of the law, they would meditate day and night. But here's what we know about the kings. We know that they failed. And, and we, we read the stories of the kings of Israel and Judah, and we look down our nose at them. But come on, we, we failed too. They, they all failed, even, even the good kings, even the, the great ones, David and Solomon and Hezekiah and Josiah, they, they all failed because there is no one righteous, not even one. All have stood in the counsel of the wicked. Except for one. There is a king who perfectly embodied the blessed man of Psalm chapter one. He, he perfectly refused the way of the wicked, but so delighted in the law of the Lord that he actually fulfilled it. Like when Satan came to him and, and offered him food, this king rejected that temptation and he quoted the law of Deuteronomy. He said, but man does not live by bread alone, but only that which proceeds from the mouth of God. This king drank so deeply of the water of the word that he was able to stand through the most horrific suffering that you could imagine. He was beaten and scarred, tortured, and crucified. But he was so immersed in the word of God that he understood that his circumstances were actually fulfilling the promises of God. So he joyfully went to the cross. This king gave his life for the ransom of many and then this king rose from the dead and he is the only one by his own deeds can stand before the judge as righteous. He's the only one. He alone is righteous in and of himself. This king perfectly embodies the blessed man of Psalm chapter one. And let me tell you, his name is Jesus. Do you want to know what this King Jesus offers to us this morning? Here's what he offers. Life. Real life. Yeah, yeah, eternal life, we stand before the judge, but also life right now. We can begin to live what it really means to be human by abiding in his word. And then on the last day, we stand before the judge as righteous, not a righteousness earned by doing good deeds, 
but a righteous that Jesus earned and gave to us, and we receive it by faith. Do you, do you want life this morning? Do you, do you want real life? Do, do you want to be able to thrive when harsh conditions come? Do you want to recover intimacy with, with God? Place your faith in Jesus and then meet him in the scriptures. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day 